Thanks for joining us tonight, folks. I'm Clee Campbell. I'll agree uh, with you tonight for uh, being here on an action-packed edition of Chicago's most fun and fastest-growing sports podcast. We are Monsters of the Madhouse. Now, friends, as we know, Chicago land, the home to and launching ground of countless preps. who've gone on to professional sport, uh, sports careers and Hall of Fame. For, just for starters, the who's who's list includes Kellerman High's future MLB Hall of Famer Kirby Puckett, Farragut Academy's Kevin Garnett, Chicago uh, Archbishop Quigley's George Mikan, Stevenson, Stevenson High's Tamika Chinkle, Entry's partner Rob Carmel High's Chris Chelius, Wien the success stories of Chicagoland prep stars of today and college and pro stars of tomorrow. He's the senior suburban sports content editor of the Chicago Tribune, where he oversees six suburban dailies and 33 weeklies. Friends, please welcome to the Madhouse our good friend, Bill Sheeve. Bill, my friend, how you doing tonight? Good. How are you? Good, good. We appreciate you taking time to join us. I know you're right in the middle of an uh, extremely busy prep sports season where I'm sure it probably seems like you and your team are covering about 50 different sports on any given night. Um, yeah, yeah, spring, but, uh, spring is always uh, spring's always the craziest time of the year because of the weather. So it, it gets uh, it's nice today because uh, we finally got some good, good weather that makes everything go. Absolutely. You know, what we'll talk about as we get into it, but covering sports in the Midwest in the spring, it's always an adventure because you don't know where to be. I know guys that were here. Yeah, the biggest thing this time of yeah, the craziest thing this time of the year is logistics. Whereas, you know, you get you know, when you're in the fall and you're in the winter, yeah. uh, you don't really have to deal with that very much. Uh, probably about four or five years ago, we had a very strange Friday night football night that got lightning down and rained out. And that is something I had never seen in my career. So, but that happens very rarely during, during the fall or winter season. Whereas during the spring, that can be every day for a seven, seven day stretch, depending on what type of weather we get. Yeah. Well, I got lucky. I started out, um, when I was, when I was 17, I, um, somebody who is, who's one of my writers now, I'm his boss, which is always kind of funny to hear somebody who hired you, uh, call you their boss. But I started out at the daily South town when I was 17 years old as a freelancer and uh, worked up my way to being an intern my last two years. And that was 86 when I started out and I interned there from 88 to 90. 
and uh, did a soccer magazine and soccer PR for a year and a half, and then ended up going down to Morris as the assistant sports editor for four years, then went to Joliet, uh, Joliet Herald News as the assistant sports editor, and that was for 15, 16 years. And now I've been in this job for the last 10 years and five months. I'm a senior content editor for the Chicago Tribune in charge of suburban sports. And uh, that job, actually, I started out at the Sun-Times. We were owned by the Sun-Times my first two years, and then we got sold over to the Tribune. So um, it's been the last 10 years and five months have been, obviously, it's, it's a strange time in our industry. There's been a lot of cutbacks and uh, a lot of changes of ownership across the country. You know, journalism is definitely a different, uh, it's a definitely a different gig right now than when I started out in 86. And you actually can say it's a different gig than even 2006, you know, which really isn't that long, long ago. Absolutely. You know, and But if you're, you know, this is a, a, a crazy time in the journal. You know, I've been in the journal game for about 20 years. You have consolidation. You have, you, I'm sure your staff's probably half of what it was 10, 15 years ago. You'll be stunned to hear what my staff is from, from what it was. When I started out, uh, when I took this gig in uh, 2012, 2013, uh, 2012, uh, I had 32 people. Uh, under my, uh, that I was in charge of. Now I have four. Mm -hmm. So we've, uh, that's how much, that's how dramatic the cuts back, wow. cutbacks have been. And it's not just a Tribune thing. It's not, it's pretty much industry-wide. If you look at, um, you, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole industry has been that way. Our marketplace is difficult. The Chicago marketplace has been very difficult comparative to maybe other marketplaces, uh, much more so than others for some odd reason. But, uh, you know, that's been, that's been a huge, it's a huge challenge to try to, um, to make it all go. You know, I joke with my wife a lot that some days, you know, some days I feel really good. Some days I feel like Dale Svane when he was manager of the Cubs, you know, you know, you're going to lose, you know, you have a lineup that's going to lose and you just do the best you can, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And folks, one of the things Bill's talking about too, is the, the print newspaper industry has been gutted by the class of classified advertising. It's really taken away a lot of the revenue streams for a lot of newspapers, which as Bill is talking about folks has led the, the common average American newsroom to be about 30% capacity in terms of reporters and journalists of where it was 10, 15 years ago. Um, you know, like you talked about, Bill, the sports journalism business is changing and evolving with technology. You know, I when See, I broke it's, into it's the been industry, such a massive, uh... Yeah, you're right. A massive change. And, you know, when I broke into the newspaper sports game at the DeKalb Daily Chronicle with uh, your colleague and good friend Bob Narain about 25 years ago, you know, there was no such thing as smartphones. There was no such thing as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, name, image, likeness. In fact, really only a handful of Chicago um, uh, journalism outlets really had active websites. Um, can you talk about how reaching your readers and audiences has changed and evolved since you broke into the business. Yeah, the internet obviously changed everything for us. It changed the, you know, the, uh, the push toward going online for all the businesses because that's where the readers are at. I mean, you don't see people reading the print product as much anymore. Uh, I myself don't read the print product as much anymore. And I'm a print person. I love print. It's just been a dramatic, that's been the, the biggest dramatic change is just the fact that the internet came along, social media came along, which also affected everything because it changes, it changes the way uh, we write things and the way we produce things. Um, it's been a very big adjustment for my writers when it comes to the uh, just pushing the philosophy of we can't write things the way we did even 15 years ago. Because 15 years ago, you know, take Mount Carmel football, take Mother Macaulay girls volleyball, take some of the premier programs that are in the state of Illinois in any high school sport at 15 minutes after a game is done on their own Twitter accounts, they're going to have the nuts and bolts of what happened in a game. They're going to report that themselves. Um, the, our, the thing we can do, the thing that, that we can do that nobody else can is we can tell stories. 
you know, we, we can go behind the scenes and we can tell the stories that people want to read. And so it's been, that's been the big push is to get away from as much the nuts and bolts of, you know, Jimmy Jones went two for three with three RBIs, you know, to getting behind the fact of why, you know, Jimmy Jones can do that, who he is, where he comes from, that type of stuff, which you're not going to get on anywhere else. And that's our, been our big push. It's been very successful. Um, it's just, it's, it's just, it's different. It's obviously very, very different from, from when you could go out and buy two or three newspapers and, and now there's websites and, you know, yeah. stuff's online afterward. And, you know, the other big thing we deal with that I wouldn't have thought I was going to be dealing with even five years ago, is just the changing of deadlines and printing presses and the whole nine yards when it comes to that, you know, the Tribune sold their printing press to, um, to where the casino's going. So that's, that's a big change for everything. And like, I have, I have print products that have 627 deadlines at night and well, that's, you know, how are you going to get in a, a football game that starts at seven 30 when your deadline six twenty seven. So it changes, it changes everything. The, the entire way you approach things, you know, is, is totally different. It reminds me of my wife. Um, my wife's a volleyball coach at Joliet Catholic and, she was very obviously very successful Hall of Fame coach, and she won three state titles and ten state trophies in twenty years. And but it reminds me of there was a year where that's a very outside oriented position uh, sport where you you play your outside hitters and you feed your outside hitters. And there's one year where her two best players were a right side hitter and middle hitter. Well, that changes the total way you have to do things. Your total system has to change because the ball needs to go the other direction. And that's been similar to the way we operate. We've had a change, you know, the way we do things because it's just, you know, <laughs> you know 620, 627 doesn't change if you start at 730. Right, exactly. Um, you know, and you know, the thing about it, though, against all odds, Bill, against all odds with the changing industry, with um, your, 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 your staff and budget being slashed left and right, you are still keeping on one of the great traditions uh, in, in Chicago Land sports of prep plus. You know, I remember growing up with Barry Temkin, Bob Sakamoto, Reed Hanley. You, the Tribune really set the standard, not just for the for the Midwest, but I think a national standard of covering prep sports. And you know, you you've got to, you, you really should take some pride, and I know you do. But are you really proud of the work that you, Bob, and everyone you do your, uh, at, on your staff does in this ever changing industry? to continue on this great tradition of Chicago Tribune coverage of prep sports? Oh, definitely. And the thing I'm proud of is I work with great people. Uh, I have a deputy editor, Nathan Chambers, who who's terrific copy editor. He's, he's amazing. He's, he's better copy editor than I am. Um, I had a deputy editor before Mike Clark, who's just terrific. It's great to work with. Uh, I have great writers. Tony Baranek's a legend in the South suburbs. Rick Armstrong is a legend in the West suburbs. Uh, I've known them, you know, most of my life at this point. And so it helps to have that in Northwest Indiana. I have a guy by the name of Michael Ozipoff, uh, who's really, really good. Terrific guy. Everybody loves him in the region there. And some of my former guys, Lamont Pope, if you open up the Tribune, you're a White Sox fan, you read Lamont Pope. And Lamont Pope was one of my um, writers uh, up north. And uh, Lamont was great. I miss him because he was, you know, there's, there's high maintenance, there's low maintenance, and there's no maintenance. And Lamont was zero maintenance. And so you love people like that. So, uh, you know, we do, I really do believe in the work we do. I believe we do great work every day. Uh, that's a byproduct of the people I've got. We have a great stable of freelance writers. Bob Narang, you mentioned, is one of them. Got guys like Matt LeCren, Steve Millar in the South Suburbs is just fantastic, does a terrific job. And that's what makes it go. You got to have great writers, you got to have great storytellers, and you got to have a great team. You know, I grew up playing on great teams. I, I believe in sports, I, I still play hockey, I believe in it. And I believe how much that translates into the work area. I mean, if I were, you know, if I ever get to hire again, I mean, it's something I always look at. You always look at people that, that play team sports that understand what that means and being a part of a team. And, you know, I'm proud of what we do. And I also know, you know, I'm just a, you know, a little bit of that cog that makes the wheel go. It takes a lot to make the wheel go. Yeah. Well, it's, it's still going. Uh, against all odds in an ever-changing industry, Bill. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by the, uh, our good friend Bill Sheeb, uh, the senior uh, suburban sports content editor for the Chicago Tribune and a longtime Chicagoland uh, sports analyst and expert who has covered some of the greatest athletes and stories that come out of Chicagoland over the last 30 years. 
Bill, I'm going to put you on the spot here. It's going to be tough because there's thousands to choose from. But is there one preps athlete that you've covered and maybe one game or story that stands out to you as maybe the most thrilling assignment that you've had in your career? That's a great question. That's a great question because there's a lot of them. You know, I I was lucky enough to see Donovan McNabb play at Mount Carmel and, and I got to see Antoine Walker as a freshman at Mount Carmel. I'll never forget. Uh, I got to see him as a freshman. He had a rough game, and I'll never forget that because his coaches were really, really, you know, uh, down down after that game. Like, oh my god! And, and then he ended up being a star. You know, it just goes to show you, you know, freshman on the varsity. That's a tough thing. Um, but one of the best athletes I ever covered actually was Allie Quigley, um, who would win the uh, championship with the Sky. Uh, she was fantastic. I saw Candace Parker in her heyday when she was at Naperville Central. Um, there's a lot of them and then some of them don't end up even making it. Um, one of the best high school running backs I ever saw that did things I've never, I never saw anybody do before. I haven't seen anybody do after is Ty Isaac when he was a Joliet Catholic. Now he ended up at USC, ended up in Michigan, didn't end up making the pros. Uh, his, uh, teammate in the backfield at that time, Josh Ferguson did made it with the Colts. Uh, one of his other teammates, Kobe Fleener, ended up with the uh, ended up going to Stanford, and he made the NFL as a tight end. But Ty Isaac was incredible. I mean, I've never seen guys make a guy make moves in tight quarters as a running back like he did. And uh, it just goes to show you, high school is a level unto itself. Uh, sometimes that does translate to the next level. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's size. In Ty's case, it wasn't that. It was just injuries and stuff happens. Um, and then some athletes, Allie's a perfect example. Allie was a really thin, I mean, really, really thin athlete as a high school player. It had incredible athleticism. But if you would, you would, I don't know if you could say you would have predicted that of her when she was a junior and senior. The athleticism was all there. But you have to have that drive and that dedication, that work ethic and all that stuff. And that's the stuff that tends to show over the next several years when they get into college. And, and Allie obviously has, and I, I've been blessed I've written about a lot of athletes and enjoyed the heck out of all of it. And, you know, always thought that the kids I covered became my kids. And um, that's kind of great because like on the hockey team I play on right now, a couple of the kids who are three of the guys who are playing with me, Corey Catalani, uh, Matt Porter and Russ Slagle are kids I all wrote about in high school. Corey was a hockey player at Joliet Catholic. Russ Slagle was a hockey player at Joliet Catholic. And Matt Porter was a really good pitcher at Joliet West. It was combined Joliet Township at the time. You know, that's kind of the crazy thing right now with high school sports is the whole common, the whole concept of, you know, when I started out, there was one playing field, there was one Lincoln way, and now there's four Lincoln ways and there's four playing fields. And, you know, Joliet Township at one point was three schools then it was one school. Now it's two schools. It's, you know, it, high school sports is is wild when it comes to that. You know, some schools can consolidate to try to make themselves into a power. Others tend to separate then and try to get kids playing time. Um, I tend to lead toward the, the latter than the former. I've never, very rarely have I ever seen a school consolidate and that automatically leads to what the people really want, which is the, the multiple state championships. Only school that maybe that happened is at wheaton Warville South. Yeah, you know, like you're talking about too. We have consolidation. We have schools shifting conferences. It's amazing. You know, prep college alignment game. You know, really. Um, yeah. So yes. The one thing. The one thing that's different too. I know that you noticed. Like. Yeah, you talk about college. That's oh, yeah, the Phil, fascinating sorry, thing about every. Yes. Yeah. Everybody talks about college. I mean, the biggest thing right now, when you hear people talking about college, you hear a lot of people talk about the transfer portal comes up all the time. Some people love it. Some people hate it. And the interesting thing right now about high school, in my opinion, has been how the transfer portal actually has been there in high school for a couple of years. Just no one announced it. And there's been so much movement. That's the biggest change I've seen in the last five, five years is how many kids are moving around and some of it's legal some of it's not, some of it's borderline. I don't know how the IHSA could ever, you know, there are people who will complain, who will complain about the IHSA, but I don't know how in the world they would ever investigate or stay on top of, they do a yeoman job of trying, but it's almost an impossible game comparative to what happens with the NCAA where you have a legitimate portal and kids go in it and whether they should be going in it or not is a topic unto itself. Because I think 
there's probably 60 to 75% of the kids that go into the transfer portal who probably regret it because they end up dying on the vine as players, you know? Um, and, but you see a lot of that right now in, in high school, there's a lot of movement, you know, you're seeing it right now with St. Rita, Rita boys basketball, where there's a lot of kids that the coach left two players left and two players a year before it come in. So, you know, and I don't want to pick on St. Rita cause there's nothing, you know, bad going on there. It's just, they're just a symbol of what's going on right now. And it's everywhere, you know, and, you know, the day and age where a kid stayed loyal to his public school yeah. or stayed loyal to his Catholic school, yeah. you know, and, and started, there's just a lot of movement. I saw that with my wife as a coach, you know, my wife's first 15 years as a coach, um, she couldn't have, there, there's never a kid that transferred in. They were too scared to transfer in, into a powerhouse program like that. And her last five years, yeah. last five years, kids were transferring in like crazy and taking the opportunity because they wanted to be with the best. And so it's, right. it's, it's kind of a wild world right now when it comes to that, uh, the whole transfer thing, whether it's high school, whether it's college. And you see that trickle down um, between those two levels. That's always going to be there. There's always going to be a trickle down between what happens in high school and what happens in college and vice versa. And I think you're seeing a lot of that right now. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Bill. And, you know, one other thing that I know you notice uh, that I noticed, it's, it's a different type of athlete prep athlete bill than it was when you and I were in high school some 30 years ago. Um, you know, it was just, we saw so many all around athletes back then playing two, three, sometimes even four sports, you know, they just shift from season to season, trade uniforms, trade shoes. Um, but with today's pressure for kids bill to specialize in one sport to kind of improve their scholarship chances, are you seeing fewer and fewer multi-sports athletes each year? And in the big picture bill, is this good for kids? Well, it's not good for kids and in the long run. And that's probably a thing that some people aren't going to agree with, but it's the truth. And in the long run, it's not, you know, uh, soccer is the perfect example of it where, you know, all these, all these girls soccer players are given up the opportunity early on in their career to run out in front of school, run and file and play in front of your, 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 your classmates and to become what the next Mia Hamm and one out of maybe a million do. So what about the 999,000 that basically get screwed? It's, it's silliness, but it's what I, I get why the parents do it. I saw my wife deal with a sport where, you know, volleyball players are very much specialists. You'll always hear the uh, football coaches, uh, God bless them. Cause I have a lot of friends that, that are football coaches, but they'll always rant and rave about club and travel. And it's like, well, you don't have to deal with that. There is no trouble uh, tra uh, travel and club with football. And if it is, it's called lifting. So you've got it dialed in where your kids are gonna. All these other sports have to compete with that. And it's all logistics. It's logistics with colleges. The colleges are the ones that want these kids becoming one sport athletes because of the fact that that's how they can recruit them. They're not gonna recruit them at the high school game. They'll go check them out maybe at the high school game and the great coaches do. The great coaches are smart enough at college to know that they can't just rely on a club tournament to pick out their talent. But way too many college coaches, that's how they're finding the kids. They're going to these travel tournaments, and it makes logistical sense for them. When your budgets are being cut everywhere, what are you going to do? Do you want to blow your money going to travel to, a, say, a Lincoln Way East to go watch a kid on a Thursday? Or would you rather go to a summer baseball travel tournament that has 120 teams and you can see everybody and every player everywhere? And so that's what it's come down to. That's where all the specialization, it comes down to the colleges and the logistics. But at the end of the day, is it, are you better off having three sport athletes? Is it better off for the kids to be three sport athletes? I think that goes without saying, I think it helps them be competitors. It helps their bodies. It helps round out their skills. You know, I see that myself as an athlete when I was growing up, like I always looked forward to hockey season because it's helped my arm. And I know that sounds funny, but throwing a baseball or throwing a 16 inch softball or throwing a 12 inch softball is a very violent act. And uh, the underhand motion when you, when you take a slap shot or a wrist shot in hockey is so much easier on your shoulders. And so I always like that. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in playing multiple sports. I think it helps your body. It helps your body adjust. You use different muscles. And I think you'd use different parts of your brain. And you get into situations where you might be a star in one sport, but then maybe you're like the, the sixth, seventh, eighth player in another sport. And that's good, too, because it teaches you humility. It teaches you how to deal with your teammates. It teaches you better leadership skills. But I understand why a lot of parents are doing it. I, I understand why a lot of kids are being forced into doing it because they're all chasing after the scholarship that's kind of elusive. Because if you really look at the statistics out of the number of kids 
that end up putting on a high school uniform, it's pretty universal if you take out the average. It's 10% that end up with a college scholarship. And that's all levels. I know a lot of people are going to listen to this. They're going to say, oh, well, that's Division One." No, that's all levels. It's D1, it's Division Two, it's Division Three, it's NAIA, and it's JUCO. And so there's so few spots really at the next level compared to the amount of kids that put on a jersey. And a lot of parents end up taking their kids into travel and spending that money. And if they're doing it to learn the good life skills, it's fine. If they're doing it for ROI, because I hear that sometimes, the, 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 which I, I think is kind of insane, that someone, some parent will use the term, well, what's my ROI for my child? Your return on investment? Um, I think that's a really whacked out way of uh, having a child play a travel sport because you, you're, you think that's going to guarantee either playing at the high school level or, or guarantee playing a, or getting a college scholarship because there are no guarantees. You know, um, one little point on that I'd like to add, it's kind of like when we go through all area teams and every now and then we'll have a writer. And I know I've been in this position as well, where, you know, you have a, just, just standout freshman and you don't want to screw over the seniors, you know, or the juniors. You're like, Oh, you know, I got, I got, I got to go for the senior, you know, it's her last, her last chance or his last chance and blah, 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 blah. And I had this happen to myself where, okay, then you pass over the freshman who was head and shoulders above everybody else should have been player of the year blows out their knee. They're done, you know? So there's a great um, comment one time uh, when someone died down in Florida as a pro athlete and they were saying in his wake, you know, always remember to be where your feet are. And that's uh, always stuck with me. And I think that's pretty true. Always remember, you know, just live where your feet are every day. Cause that's really all that's guaranteed. Absolutely. And, and folks, amen to Bill's point there. I've put together many in all area team myself. It is one of the hardest things you do as a community sports journalist. Folks, we are uh, talking with our good friend, Bill Sheep from the Chicago Tribune. You are watching Monsters of the Madhouse brought to you by TC's World of Wonders, uh, 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 Bridges Scoreboard, uh, Serendipity Ice Cream Parlor, and Budget Jet Cars. I'm Clint Campbell. Uh, you know, Bill, uh, you know, we talk about seismic shifts that we've seen in high school sports. Um, the difference we've seen with what name image likeness has done at the college level, where it's given quote unquote student athletes the ability to market themselves and receive fair market compensation for their name image and likeness. Um, is this something that the Illinois High School Athletic Association is actively considering? I don't think so. I don't think it's, you I don't think this it's changing. Changing. I think, I think anything's possible. What could be coming down the pike. It's fascinating what it's done. I mean, look at Libby Dunn, the gymnast that, you know, LSU, she's, you know, going to be a sports illustrated um, model in their next issue and their swimsuit issue. And I think she's made $3 million on it. Uh, it hasn't come into the high school area yet. Uh, I think there are a lot of people that talk about how the, how the NCAA did not handle it very well. And it's kind of created, uh, you know, there are a lot of issues if you talk amongst people about what this eventually is going to mean for the college game, because there's so much money and it really panders into, I can't remember the college coach who was actually on the record, who actually was saying this, this is probably about a month and a half ago where, you know, if the NCAA doesn't watch out, you're going to end up having 10 football teams. All the players are going to end up going to 10 football teams because, you know, that's where they can make the money. Same thing in basketball. Now, that said, I mean, you know, Alabama is always going to be Alabama and Penn State and football is always going to be Penn State and Notre Dame is going to always be Notre Dame and Michigan State and men's basketball. I mean, you, you tend to always have kind of the usual suspects in kind of these sports, but it, it kind of incentivizes it, doesn't it, for, for kids to pick a – I mean, I know if I had a son right now and he was a college yeah. football player and he was exceptional – I would guarantee you Alabama would be on my list. You know, it just makes sense because yeah. you want to play on the big stage and you want to, you know, set yourself up where, you know, the money is going to be there in the future. And well, you know, if you're a football player, a college football player, you know, I mean, where else would you want to play, but in Alabama right now, a Georgia, you know, uh, Notre Dame, if you're Catholic, you know, I know there's a lot yeah. of non, you know, Notre Dame's a fascinating school because it's definitely a love them, hate them type of school, yeah. you know, and uh, it's good for us because the people who love them read it as much as the people who hate them. So exactly. I kind of like it. I kind of like it when we get Notre. I kind of like it when we get Notre Dame recruit high school recruits because I feel like we get twice the amount of readers. We get the Notre Dame fans that want to see who their recruit is, and we get the Notre Dame haters who want to start already hating their future Notre Dame kids. So you know, it's fascinating on that regard.
<laughs> exactly. There's no middle ground, that's for sure. Hey, Bill, I tell you what, let's Chicago sports, if you wouldn't mind. I know that divide the odds, Bill. They had a 11.5% chance. Well, they had a chance. They won the NHL's draft lottery, have the number one overall pick in next month's drafts, and, of course, the right to draft the phenom known as Connor Bedard. Um, can I get your thoughts on this? Uh, is this is this a slam dunk, a pick, number one? There's no doubt they're going to go with Bedard. And then number two, can this can Connor be a Patrick King? Can he be a franchise, franchise game changer that gets this team back on track and back into uh, regular playoff contention? Well, to answer the first question, it's, it's really interesting. In my opinion, it's a slam dunk. And in any year, it would be a slam dunk. The only asterisk this, this year, which is why this draft's incredible. It's it's probably the best draft in 10, 15 years. Top to by, I mean, that the Hawks have the picks that they have. If, you know, seriously, if they don't go down to a bar and get drunk, you know, three hours before the draft... <laughs> They really can't screw it up. It's that good of a draft. You know, there's yeah. so much talent. And this year, there's a kid named Adam Fantilli, who's 6'2", 197, is tabbed as the number two guy. He's he's a Hobie Baker Award winner as a freshman at Michigan. And he's probably going to project to be a 6'3", 6'4", 225-pound type of guy. And he's also a center. So you have two franchise centers in this draft. And that's what makes that a little bit dicey. But to me, it's a slam dunk. You take Connor Bedard. If you look at the World Junior Tournament, the last player to dominate the World Junior Tournament as a 17-year-old, which is what Connor Bedard is, wasn't Mario Lemieux, wasn't Connor McDavid, wasn't Nathan McKinnon, wasn't Sidney Crosby. Last one to do it is Wayne Gretzky. So that's how good this kid could be. Yeah. And I liken him. He plays a lot to me like, like Crosby does when it comes to he's very competitive. He's not big and physical. He's not like Fantilli who has physicality to him, but he doesn't shy away from contact. Like you, you don't look at Sidney Crosby and think, Oh, that's a physical hockey player. He's not a guy that's going to dole out hits, but Sidney Crosby doesn't shy away from stuff and is active. And, and Bedard's the same way. He's a very active center, unbelievably skilled player skates. Well, I don't agree with the comparisons to Connor McDavid that he skates as fast as McDavid. Nobody skates as fast as McDavid. Connor McDavid's on another planet. So is Nathan yeah. McKinnon. Those two guys, if they had a skating contest and they had a, they had to see which one was the fa fastest, they'd probably take three hours and tire each other out. They're, they're both <laughs> incredible, but Bedard, Bedard's fast enough. And he's just so incredibly skilled. And the truth of the matter is coming out of the draft, He's a better player than 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 Patrick Kane was. He's a he's an even much higher um, uh, pro, a prototypical player than Kane was, which is kind of awesome that the Hawks are you know you're ending the the Kane and Taves era and you're going to a guy like Connor Bedard. And for the franchise, there's no doubt it's a uh, it's a game changer. It's it's everything. It's uh, I hate tanking. I don't believe in it. I don't believe in rebuilding. I'm a big believer in reloading. Uh, I hate the concept of rebuilding. But if you can get a guy like this, does it change a lot? It changes a lot. I don't think it changes everything because look at Edmonton. Edmonton's, you know, down in the second round of the series right now to Vegas. And I would think Edmonton might be the only team in the NHL that you could say has two franchise players. They have Connor McDavid and they have Leon Dreisaitl. And they're both unbelievable hockey players. And they still haven't been able to win a cup. So I've seen some people who say, well, this kind of fast tracks the Hawks to winning a cup. No, I don't think it does that, but it puts them in a damn good position. It means Cal Davidson has to do his damn job <laughs> because the, yeah. that's the third, which is what everybody wants. If you're going to restart a program and Anaheim's yeah. going to get lucky too, because not only do they have the Trevor Zegrin in the mix and they're going to be legit awfully fast. And I hate Anaheim, so that's 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 tough for me to say. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Bill, kind of like you were talking about Chris Chelios, I thought he had the best the, the best take on it. He goes, you know, this will put us them in a position to to be in you know the playoff mix within three years. But for any for all of us who are expecting him to come in and be an instant savior, it it just doesn't happen. And um, the thing with Kyle Davidson, there was a lot. He's got got taken a lot of heat, and I believe rightfully so, in my opinion. Of, of how he tore 
down this roster so fast. Do you think this was the route for him to aggressively rebuild? Yeah, I, I think I would have done it too. I, I don't. Season. I don't just. I don't just. Yeah, I don't just I don't disagree with with uh, the whole concept because if you look at the analytics, you know NFL has analytics, NHL has analytics, baseball has analytics, and if you look at the prime, um, the prime period for for hockey, at one point they actually had made it a little bit older, and the analytics are coming in even back more. It's twenty one to twenty eight. That's your window, and yeah. and you look at football. Football is even harder. I mean, you know, people will get on the the Bears GM every year, and and understandably so, because God forbid we'd ever get a good one, you know. And um, jury's still out for me with polls, but uh, you know, we've been. If you're a Bears fan, boy, you've been stuck for years, you know, watching that. But the NFL is just a rare, rare beast where it turns over so quickly, turns over yeah. so quickly because of the shelf life of the athletes. Well, hockey is twenty one to twenty eight, and if you looked at where the Hawks were. I mean, Taves and Kane, they hadn't been in the playoffs since they were 30 and they're going, they're going on 35. So at one point do you start tearing yeah. it down? And I understand the trade of Debrinket. I don't like the return on Debrinket, but I understood it because if you're going that route, he's the only, it was the only prime asset they really had at the time to get a top five pick or get a top 10 pick, you know? Um, and the Davidson's credit, while I don't just, dis I disagree. Sometimes he doesn't get prospects in return. Um, they, they basically have a state. You could see their philosophy come into life as they make moves. They want picks. They don't want anybody else's garbage. They don't want anybody's refuse. They don't want somebody that, you know, Bowman was big on that. He was big on somebody else's first round draft pick from five years ago. He was very big on, I like this guy five, you know, three years yeah. ago in the draft. So I'm going to try to steal him back. Uh, Davidson, Brian Campbell, you can tell he has a big voice in the room. The former Hawks defenseman, you can tell that this is their goal. Their goal is to get picks. And I don't disagree with that. You know, it's, it's a little bit, it has a little cockiness to it and confidence, but it's basically, I think they're saying, Hey, we believe in what we're going to do. We believe in our scouting staff and what we want to pick. And we want to pick our guys. And so far judging on one draft, you know, their first draft was really, really good. You know, Korczynski looks like a legitimate top pairing power play defenseman and 25 to 28 minute offensive defenseman. And if you look at a Cal McCarr and what he's done with Colorado, you know, you got to have that player. That's, that's the, you know, if you look at the building blocks, that's why Connor Bedard is so big. Um, you know, it's the franchise center, your other building block you need, you need a power play quarterback, which I don't think Seth Jones is. I think he does a great job of holding the line on the power play play. He keeps pucks in, you know, he, he retains pucks. He can move the puck a little, but he refuses to shoot the puck toward the net. And so, which means as a power play uh, quarterback, he's absolutely useless. You might as well put me out there at 55. If you're not going to shoot puck toward the net as a power play quarterback, <laughs> you're useless. You know, so to have that type yeah. of guy, they've got it. The other, the other big piece you want when you're building a hockey team is a goalie, but you don't take goal universally. Most of the time you can get goalies in the second, third, fifth, seventh round. You know, look at Ed Belfour. I bet you there's a lot of people listening right now. They're Ed Belfour fans. I was an Ed Belfour fan. Ed Belfour Liz. fan was an undrafted. Yeah. He's an undrafted free agent out of North Dakota. So, you know, that's the way you can get goalies. It's like running backs in the NFL. You don't have to take a running back in the first round. You can get running backs elsewhere. But you need to have that franchise defenseman uh, or that franchise center, and you have to have that offensive defenseman. And the Hawks seemingly now are going to get them back-to-back, -back, and that bodes really, really well for where they're going to go. Um, the one thing I kind of disagree with, and I have a hunch they might have done yeah, this, no. because if you, li you listen to a lot of Kyle Davidson's interviews, after they got the pick, they won the lottery, he almost seemed stunned. I think they really had it in their mind for months that they were going to, that the, all the, this, I believe it was 69% chance that they were going to be in the fourth or fifth spot, that that was their biggest thing. And I think that's what they really thought was going to happen. And I think that's kind of why they let Taves go. I think they really thought, you know, Hey, we, we re we're going to basically get a four or five. This is a, like Chelio said, this is now a three-year thing. And I agree with them on that. Totally. I think their window got cut down dramatically with this. And I think they were thinking, hey, we're going to get the fourth or fifth pick, knowing our luck. And we're in a five-year window. And why have a Jonathan Taze around? Let him go somewhere else and be happy. Now, in my opinion, if you have a Connor Bedard, who's yeah. your leader? Seth Jones is your leader? Seth Jones is not my leader. There's there's no way Seth Jones is my yeah, captain. And, and, you know, to Bill, kind of yeah. Yeah. Bill, I tell you what, there, there's a lot of unknowns in hockey. One thing is that, that, uh, that is known 
is to know something that is very near and dear to your heart. Hugs for not otherwise have have a chance. Can you talk a little bit about Pucks for Pucks for Autism? I know they have a big event coming up here soon. Yeah, they have a big event. They have big events coming up in June, July. They have a big uh, tournament in August at uh, Notre Dame Ice Arena. I played in four of the events. I played in three tournaments. I played in a charity event uh, at Allstate Arena, which is really good. Sean Pfeiffer uh, runs Puck for Autism. It's a great, it's a great uh, charity. They do great work. Uh, it's great being around the kids uh, over the weekend when you play at a, at a weekend tournament. Um, they're so excited it's just a wonderful event. I'm, I'm fortunate. I run a team called the fighting saints uh, that that's played. Uh, we played in our first tournament. I played in a team that was called the whale that played in the first uh, three events, but now I have my own team and um, it's just a great tournament to play in. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I get to play with um, I'm going to be 55 in August and I'm still getting to play with kids that, you know, my alternate cam captain, Dan McDonald, he's been playing with hockey with me since he was 15 Kyle Waddles has been playing hockey with me since he was 17. I mentioned Corey Catalani earlier. He's been playing hockey with the, with me since he was 17. So uh, I have guy, Chris Smith, who just turned 40. Thank God. Cause it gives somebody in my, you know, social security bracket uh, near me. Tom Lulis is, uh, is in, is in his 40s. So I like having, you know, at least, at least a couple guys that can speak my language. Uh, but, but it's great. Right. We have a great team. It's fun to go out there and play um, in those tournaments. It's fun to play for that charity. If there are people out there who own businesses who think, Hey, you know, there's something that I want to donate to think about pucks for autism because of the work they do. It's just a tremendous charity, tremendous event. If you have a hockey team that wants to play, they have all kinds of divisions. They have co-ed divisions. They have over uh, 30, over 40, over 50 divisions. You know, I'm staying away from those as long as I possibly can. Um, you know, I, I, I like, I like playing on the level I am and uh, I enjoy playing with the guys I, I play with and with the job I have, it, it keeps me sane. It's great. You know, we play Thursday nights in our league and it, it's great having something that, you know, you can go to and um, you can just sit around, you know, guys could have beers and you can just talk about what's going on. And I think it's important for guys to have that. My wife plays volleyball. It's important for women to have that, you know, where you have that outlet where you can get away from everything and yeah. just be with, uh, you know, people and talk, talk about stuff and it's awesome. Absolutely. It's a wonderful position. You can visit them at their website, pucksforautism.com. Pucksforautism.com. We're visiting with the, uh, uh, the great Bill Sheep, one of the all-time great Chicago Prep sports writers and editors now senior suburban content editor for the Chicago Tribune. Well, I tell you what, you being a baseball guy as well, that the 2023 Chicago Major League Baseball season hasn't exactly got off to a roaring start on either side of town. Um, you know, can you give me your thoughts on where the White Sox are at right now? Is there any chance this team can get back in the fold and become a player in 2023? Or do you see a possible rebuild on the horizon and a potential trade deadline fire sale that who knows might include Dylan Cease. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the the Sox first instead of the Cubs, because the playoff of what the Blackhawks are going through right now. You know, I remember a couple of years ago where you know the Sox tore it down, and everybody was excited because they made all the trades and they got rid of players and they got all these picks and they're gonna they're gonna capitalize on all these picks and you know here we are a couple of years later and. You know, it doesn't look good for the Sox right now. They, and it doesn't, the, the worst part is if you're friends, I'm an ambivalent baseball guy, baseball, you know, I, I concentrate on hockey. I love hockey. Baseball season comes around. My wife's a huge Cubs fan. She's a huge baseball fan. Me, I'm kind of ambivalent toward it. If the Sox are on, I'll watch the Sox. If the Cubs are on, I'll watch the Cubs. And I know uh, that doesn't play well in Chicago. People always yell at you about, you have to pick a team. And well, I'm married to a Cubs fan, so I lean more Cubs, but I'm toward a, sort of ambivalent toward it, which is actually good for this conversation. Cause I can be honest about it. Uh, I feel bad for, I feel bad for Sox fans right now because they, they, they look like they're on the baton death march of fanhood. You know, they're real. they, seriously, it's, it's, you know, there are several days I go on Twitter and I see my Sox fan friends and I almost want to tell them, geez, put away the knives, you know, lock up the drawer the knives in the drawers because they're real, they're really dying over that team. And it looks, it doesn't look good for the Sox. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the danger of, 
you know what the Cubs did when when they did their rebuild and they got lucky that all those draft picks fell into place and you know uh, Rizzo wasn't a draft pick and they traded for him and he fit in perfectly yeah. and they really never drafted pitching. If you really looked at Theo Epstein and what maybe there would have been a criticism of his regime with the Cubs, yeah. they never really drafted pitching. You know, um, but a lot of that stuff fell into place where they got John Lester and they went out and made good free agent signings and you know you need that perfect storm. And the Sox, it doesn't look like that storm has fell into place as a perfect storm. It just likes like a storm and a really bad storm. And, you know, I think, you know, they're going to have to make a decision as they come towards, you know, the deadline of, of you know, do we just start from scratch again? And right. baseball, you know, comparative to other sports, at least you can do that a little bit more. You know, look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. If the Pittsburgh Pirates ever had money, they they would not end up being the major league baseball farm system they end up being, you know, where they basically develop players for everybody else to, you know, have as stars. You, you can do, you can turn, you can turn your roster over and, and make a goal a little bit quicker. And if the, if the Sox decide, you know, that, Hey, we need to, we need to do it and pull the plug right now. It probably isn't a bad decision because it's doable in baseball, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cubs absolutely. appear to be, I mean, I live in a fan where, you know, I live in a house where, I haven't, you know, seen, you know, stuff flying across, you know, I haven't seen plates flying across the house or <laughs> I haven't seen, you know, blanket, you know, pillows being thrown off the couch. So it appears that the Cubs uh, seem to be doing a lot better than the Sox have. Uh, I think, you know, they're, you know, I didn't agree with their teardown at the time. I, you know, that was kind of a sad, you know, time to see, you know, the Chris Bryant's of the world and the Rizzo's yeah. of the world you know, yeah. leave. I, I think that was difficult for, for a part of the, the Cubs fandom. You know, I know, I know several people who were, you know, I, you know, when you get to be my age and you've been around long enough, you know, I remember when, you know, the, the Ronics and the Belfours and the Chelios yeah. who I loved Chris Chelios, you know, he's a South side guy. So you love Chris Chelios, you know, um, and when the, when the, when the Blackhawks got rid of those guys, and I remember talking to older Hawk fans who were, who would tell me stories about how they stopped being Hawks fans when Bobby Hall left and, and, yeah. and the way that, that had gone down. So you see that with, with fandom where, where it really ruins it for them. And I, and I know some Cub fans that, you know, my wife being one of them who's still very, and she's been a Cub fan since she, from, since birth, she's, you know, like, like I am a, a, a Blackhawks fan since I was born, since I was born 68. And I, 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 my first memories are sitting at the end of a blue couch we had in the living room in Oak Lawn after we had moved from Worth and then we ended up moving back to Worth. But I remember being a kid and sitting at the end of the couch and my first memories are watching Stan Makita play hockey. And that's how you develop your fandom. And, you know, my wife was the same way, grew up in Morris and grew up a Cubs fan because, you know, Channel 9 was everywhere. You know, you can get Channel 9 and she became a Cub fan as a kid. And, and I know when Chris Brown or Hottie got traded, you know, that was, that was hard for, for people. And, you know, the Cubs rebuild seems to be going a little bit better than, than and it seems like the Sox has stalled, you know, and then the Bulls is, seems to be stuck in some sort of weird Elon Musk missile that he's building to the Mars. Yeah, really meant to that. Hey, Bill, can't thank you enough. Thank you for your time tonight. This has just been a joy for me talking to a, a to a fellow new, uh, newspaper man. Uh, we appreciate everything you're doing in a very tough environment. I know every day, every particularly in the spring sports season, it can be a battle to get everything covered. Thank you for everything you do. Um, one quick note for you, if I uh, could talk a little shop with you. Uh, our good friend Kyle Bolton chimed in. He's wondering, did uh, Brian Urlacher's son, have you seen this? Is Brenner like our son committed to Notre Dame? Uh, I haven't heard that. That's uh, I have a, a signing editor that deals with that area up north, and I haven't I haven't heard of that yet. Uh, but I do know Notre Dame was was hot and heavy looking at him, and and obviously, yeah. you know, coming from you know the Urlacher genes, uh, and that area is very. You look at that Lake County area, uh, which is you know uh, an interesting area because it's is as close to the to the Wisconsin border. You know, it's very close to the Wisconsin border. So you have a lot of Milwaukee Brewer fans up there as you do White Sox or Cubs fans. And it's a very heavy Notre Dame area. There's a lot. I mean, it's a it's not an area that you would think is a Notre Dame hotbed, but it really is. There's a lot of Notre Dame fans up in that Lake County area that, that near Gurney, um, that whole area, North Chicago. A lot of uh, Notre Dame fans up there. So would it surprise me? No. 
you know, sorry to the Notre Dame haters that are out there, you know, and there's a lot of them. They still will be reading. (laughs) Folks, you can read the great work of Bill Sheeb and his staff at the Chicago Tribune uh, and their uh, suburban papers uh, every day. Uh, He does great work. You can find Bill on Twitter at at Bill Sheeb. Bill, my friend, thank you again. This has been an honor and privilege talking to you. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. I, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, one last thing. I want to give a shout out to one of my teammates, Joel Treffa. I forgot him. And if I don't mention him, he'll probably razz me to death uh, when I see him. So, but thanks for having me on. It was great. Thanks for plugging plugs for autism. It's, it's, it's an awesome, it's an awesome charity. And I, I can't speak enough about it. Yeah, actually, it's for autism, folks. Visit them at autism.com. Bill Sheep from the Chicago Tribune. Um, and I'd like to dedicate this uh, this uh, broadcast tonight to uh, a former Chicago Tribune star and a good friend who we lost much too soon. Uh, Von, who I know, Bill, Bill, you worked with uh, a great man, gone way too soon. Vaughn, if you're up there, buddy, we're still thinking about you down here. Here, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Monsters of the Madhouse, brought to you by TC's World Wonders, the ice cream parlor, budget jet cars, and bridges scoreboard. Your North for Chicago sports with a Hall of Fame menu. Thank you, Cheryl. There's Cheryl. Thank you as always. We appreciate the Cubs and White Sox updates, folks. Lots of stuff going on here um, on Monsters of the Madhouse. Two shows coming your way next week. Be here, please, Monday, May 15th. Brandon the Hitman Hyatt will be back with Mike the Foz Fosno, the hilarious host of the new Chicago Bears fancast. First in 10 with Foz. They're going to have Chicago Sports and Anowski will be with us uh, Monday. Then join us back here at 8 o'clock next Wednesday. I will be here with you along with Matt the Coopman Cooper. Another great show on tap for next Wednesday. May 17th already. So everyone, we hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you again for watching Monsters of the Madhouse. For Bill Bill Sheeb of the Chicago Tribune, be sure to check him out, folks. I'm Clint Campbell. Good night, Chicago. We love you.